Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. This morning's scripture comes from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. I'm a little behind, so. Hear the word of the Lord. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked? Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, the home of Makar, son of Emil. So David sent for him and brought him from Makir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low in the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant, Ziba, and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that I have commanded that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. The word of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me? Merciful God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you have a favorite table? probably one of the weirdest questions anybody's ever asked you, but just let me, follow me for a second. Maybe it's at your house or at a friend's house. 
Maybe your favorite restaurant or the coffee shop you frequent where they know your name and your order. Sometimes these tables are just in the right spot or have the, just the right lighting. But often they're our favorite because of the conversations we have or the food we share, the board games that we play, or the memories that are made around them. These are tables we seek out and we return to because we know we belong. They're places that we don't have to question if we're overstaying our welcome or if we were even invited in the first place. We just know we have a place at that table. We're in the midst of our summer oldies series looking at stories from the Hebrew scriptures. This story may be unfamiliar to you and we've kind of jumped right into the middle. So let's back up a little bit. David, who's now the king over all the tribes of Israel, was once a young shepherd boy who was brought into King Saul's household. He served Saul for many years with good rapport and in that time built a strong relationship with Saul's son, Jonathan. Yet there was tension between Saul and David uh, Saul actually tried to kill David multiple times out of jealousy. David is supposedly a divinely chosen king, and yet he comes to power with some calculated political and military moves that are a little suspect. And still, when Saul and Jonathan die in battle, David writes in a way that clearly shows his deep personal grief. Nothing's quite clear-cut here. It's complicated. In the passage we heard today, David remembers a promise he made to Jonathan, that he would never cut off his faithful love from Jonathan's family, that he would never not show, that's a double negative, he would not show, uh, he would show love and kindness to Jonathan's family and therefore Saul's family. In remembering this promise, David asks Ziba, the overseer of Saul's household, is there anyone left, any descendants, that I can share this kindness with? This is when we hear the name Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, grandson of Saul. A few chapters back, we learn that the day that Saul and Jonathan died, Mephibosheth was whisked away by his caregiver to flee for safety. But in their escape, something happened that caused Mephibosheth to become disabled with some sort of impairment to his feet and legs. Ever since then, Mephibosheth has been out of the picture. It's quite possible that Mephibosheth was in hiding or maybe that he had been purposefully hidden away. In this context, he was deemed worthless, powerless because of his disability, without work or income, and now an outsider cut off from all community. In addition, it wasn't uncommon in the ancient Near East for anyone associated with the previous regime to be killed with a new when a new king was installed, just to be sure there was no contest for power. So Mephibosheth doesn't live in Saul's household, but in a town called Lodabar, which basically means nowhereville. He's truly marginalized and oppressed and pushed out to nowhere. Ziba, the overseer of Saul's estate, is described by scholars as opportunistic. 
that maybe he gave Mephibosheth's name and disability so freely as a way to say he is not a threat and definitely not entitled to any promise that David made to Jonathan and therefore definitely not deserving of any of Saul's estate, therefore leaving it all in Ziba's control. But David makes it clear he wants to see Mephibosheth and he summons him. This means Mephibosheth gets to leave this nowhereville and come to Jerusalem, the capital city. And when he arrives, he falls on the ground out of respect for the king, but I also imagine with great anxiety, wondering why the king wants to see him or what might happen next. I can imagine the tension in his body and his heart racing as he approaches. I wonder what thoughts are rolling through his head. Did he think about the countless times he'd been harassed and taunted? Did he think about the loss of his father and grandfather with whom he may have had few memories? Maybe. He expected this encounter to be like every other encounter with those who had power over him. Or even worse, as he's laying on the ground vulnerable in front of a man who likely killed members of his family and had every right to kill him too. Then David says, do not fear. Which, might I just say, is the sort of thing when you're terrified that you don't want to hear and is not helpful. And yet, it's a common pronouncement in Scripture before something big happens. Despite all that Mephibosheth might have thought was going to happen, what he expected to happen, David doesn't do or say any of those things. Instead, David shows Mephibosheth kindness. But this isn't just any old kindness. This is the loving kindness of God. A kindness marked by the love and grace God has shown God's people. A kindness marked by relationship and connection. This loving kindness goes straight beyond words and into action. As David gives the fields that belong to Saul to Mephibosheth. This is huge because land was so vital for financial security. Ziba's sons and servants will farm the land on Mephibosheth's behalf, providing both food and income. But Mephibosheth is also given a place at the king's table. This isn't a one-time dinner invite or a charity offering. This isn't pleasantries or social etiquette. David invites Mephibosheth to his home, to his table, in an arrangement like that with his own sons. When do you think the last time Mephibosheth was treated or called son? The king's table provided sustenance for life, a provision for Mephibosheth when his society didn't make a way for him to do that himself. 
It also meant providing community for him. A vital piece for someone who's been told time and time again that they are abnormal, that they are unlovable, they are unwanted, that they are a threat, ignored and blatantly hidden away from relationship. David says, you will always eat at my table. He doesn't give Mephibosheth conditions or make him explain his whereabouts or life story. He doesn't tell Mephibosheth he must be cured or really change anything about him before he enters his house and eats at his table. Mephibosheth now has a place that he belongs, a place with all the privileges that come with being a member of the king's household. While David was far from perfect, This unexpected salvation, this unexpected invitation is a tiny glimpse into God's kingdom and exactly what sets God's kingdom apart from any empire where loving kindness is the foundation and power over is turned upside down. In God's kingdom, we are called child of God not despite who we are, but because of who we are, beloved. And God especially looks upon those who are marginalized and oppressed, demonstrating a loving kindness that seeks justice and inclusion. David remembers the loving kindness God gave to him, and he in turn gives that to Mephibosheth. He wouldn't have been able to make this choice if he had not stopped to remember all of God's faithful promises, the countless times God showed unexplainable grace and unconditional love. Many of the Psalms are attributed to David, and I can't help but wonder when he wrote this part of Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. God's loving kindness empowers us to love others beyond expectation. What was expected of David was to kill Mephibosheth. What was expected of David was to draw a clear line of outsiders as enemies. What was expected of David was to choose power and comfort over grace and mercy. And Mephibosheth, well, there weren't any expectations of him. Why would his life matter? What is expected of us? as Christians, as the church. Many people may have the expectation that we as a Christian church are a place that draws hard lines of who is in and who's out, who is deserving and who is not, who is beloved, who is not, who is called and who is not. 
And yet time and time again, we have examples of our calling to be the very opposite. We serve the God of the unexpected, who flips the script, flips expectations, flips tables, so that all people may know God's love and be in communion with God. It's clear that there's room at the table. The question is, who's missing? Who has a place at God's table but has no idea or has been told otherwise repeatedly? Who longs for a place of belonging, longs to experience unconditional love but has no idea where to find it? We are called to be examples of God's loving kindness, to be a church community that everyone knows they have a place at the table and a place in God's story. But this doesn't just happen. It takes intentionality on our part to examine the barriers in our hearts, our lives, and our community that keep people from a table that's already set for them. We can say all the right things, but it is our actions that provide the invitation. It is our actions that provide the invitation. Our actions that demonstrate a faithful commitment to renouncing spiritual forces of wickedness and repenting of sin, both individual and systemic. Our actions that demonstrate a faithful commitment to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they may present themselves. Our actions that demonstrate a faithful commitment to walk in the way that leads to life, to follow in the way of Jesus, proclaiming the good news, that everyone has a place of belonging at God's table. May we as individuals and the community of Orange be willing to embody the unexpected invitation of God's loving kindness. Would you pray with me? Ever loving and eternal God, we give you thanks for the countless ways you have shown us loving kindness, mercy, and grace. We remember your faithfulness in times of joy and in moments of sorrow, and that in every moment in between you've set the table for us, that we may find a place of belonging. Pull out by the roots the sins of oppression, silence, complacency, and exclusion. Empower us to be a community that breaks down barriers, that seeks communion and understanding, and invites all with our words and our actions. And may we never forget the source of life and loving kindness is you. We are so grateful we are invited to dwell in your house forever. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.